and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 122. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have a Q&A episode lined up for you today. So hopping straight into the questions. These first two topics, they are related to dairy. So I'm going to read out both questions and I guess we can just combine them. Sounds great. Wonderful. So this very first question, it says, can you eat too much dairy and develop an intolerance? And the second question says, I love yogurt. Can I eat too much in a day? Mm. The same can be said for many foods, I guess. Mm -hmm. I love fruit. Can I eat too much fruit? (laughs) Love me some broccoli. Is it possible (laughs) to eat too much? I don't know. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, so there's a number of different topics to dig into here, but I think first we'll just quickly touch on, can you eat too much yogurt? And essentially there's one or two main answers to this, I think. And I think point number one is for most foods, you'll eat too much if it starts to compromise your intake of another food group. Or the caveat to that is, or the addition to that as well is, If it makes you start to gain weight, if it puts you into an energy surplus, and that's not in a line with your current goals. So there's nothing wrong with weight gain, but if it's against your current goals, then eating too much yogurt might put you into a calorie surplus. And on that same note, if you're eating so much yogurt that it stops you eating your fruit and vegetables, then that's not so great either. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. We have to find a balance with absolutely everything. Mm, Totally. So that's quite a simple answer in it. It was similar to the answer we gave for the fruit question as well. Can you eat too much fruit? Because basically we're going to say something very similar to can you eat too much of X, Y, Z? Like unless it's something like chocolate chip cookies or a stick of butter, then those slightly more discretionary foods, there's going to be a lower threshold of how much can you eat? I'm on rocky ground here, I know, with some people. So. Oh, sometimes when it comes to like labeling foods as good and bad, healthful and unhealthful, you kind mm. of feel like you're walking around on eggshells, eh? Yeah. But ultimately, it does come down to however much you're eating, make sure that that's staying within your energy requirements and your energy goals. So if you want to be in a deficit or if you want to be at maintenance or if you want to be in a surplus... Make sure your total energy daily intake is aligned with that. Mm. And also that you're not compromising your intake of other essential micronutrients because dairy is awesome. Dairy is not just a great source of calcium. It's a great source of protein. It's a great source of vitamin B12 and phosphorus and riboflavin, vitamin D, vitamin A, all of these wonderful nutrients, but it doesn't have every essential Mm. nutrient. So if you're using yogurt as your primary source of protein, but you're not consuming any other primary sources of protein, like perhaps some kangaroo. Where are you primarily getting your iron from in the diet? Or if Mm. you're not consuming any sort of oily fish, where are you getting your essential omega-3 fatty acids from? Or if you're not consuming anything else. Yeah, if you're just consuming dairy, where's your fiber coming from, man? So when you cross that line, then yeah, maybe you are having a little bit too much. So find that balance. Cool. So, and the other question, remind the listeners about that one. So this other question said, can you eat too much dairy and develop an intolerance? Yeah, so I think it actually works the reverse Mm -hmm. rather than what this question asker is thinking. So essentially, Tierra will talk a little bit about positive feedback loops 
but essentially to talk a bit more about lactose intolerance first, because that's often the intolerance that's associated with dairy. And basically, uh, lactose is one of the carbohydrates that is found in the dairy family, Mm -hmm. and it's a sugar. Yeah, so lactose, it's a disaccharide, and it's made of one galactose and one glucose molecule. Mm -hmm. And you require the lactase enzyme, which your pancreas in most people produces, And that lactase enzyme will help to split the bond between that galactose and that glucose so that you can absorb them both as monosaccharides Mm. and go about your day. Yeah. And that's a little neat fact, which I think we mentioned on this before. But for those of you who have ever had lactose-free milk, uh, you might recognize that it is actually a little bit sweeter than regular milk. And that's not because they add sugar to it or anything like that. It's purely because... Galactose as a monosaccharide is actually naturally a bit sweeter than glucose mm-hmm. or and lactose, and therefore that milk is a little bit sweeter. Yeah, so. and they have to add the lactase enzyme to that milk and to those types of lactose-free products mm. so that people who do have actual lactose intolerance, they can easily digest those types of foods without mm. discomfort. Yeah, and th- the reality is, is that lactase deficiency which causes lactose intolerance is actually quite common Uh, it it affects quite a few people and that doesn't mean you can't have lactose containing foods Uh, it just means you need might need to regulate your intake and there are two main causes of lactase deficiency or lactose intolerance the primary deficiency is mainly related to a decrease in lactase production uh, from about two years onwards. As you go into adulthood, naturally you'll produce less lactase. And then there literally will just become a day where you get symptoms of lactose intolerance Mm -hmm. uh, because you you start producing an, an inadequate amount of that lactase enzyme and therefore you aren't able to digest lactose and you get some GIT symptoms that aren't very nice, like constipation and diarrhea Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Because if your body can't split that bond with the lactase enzyme, then that lactose, ultimately, it can't be absorbed as a disaccharide. Mm. So it's got to keep moving through your small intestine, through your large intestine. Sometimes there's a bit of a rush there. (laughs) And yeah, it can result in some diarrhea. Mm. And the, the, the kind of the obvious reason why we need lactase as an infant is because we have our mother's milk Mm -hmm. and that's why we do produce that enzyme as a very young individual a Mm -hmm. young person and uh, that's why it naturally does in human evolution it tapers off because we stop drinking our mother's milk Mm -hmm. however due to like the positive feedback loop that's one of the main reasons why it has continued on throughout early development into adulthood. Yeah, so in human biology, there's two different types of feedback loops. There's positive feedback and there's negative feedback. So an example of positive feedback would be if you are continuing to drink milk-containing products or products that contain lactose in them, then your body is going to continue to produce the lactase enzyme as a result of that. So Mm. it's a positive feedback loop system. However, an an example of a negative feedback loop system in human biology would be temperature control. So imagine that you are in a really cold environment. The hypothalamus in your brain, it's going to signal your muscles to start involuntarily shivering Mm. so that you can start to produce some heat. 
But then once your body recognizes that, hey, I'm warm again, it's going to signal the hypothalamus to, hey, you can cut that out now. We don't need to keep shivering because we're nice and warm now. So that would be an example of a negative feedback system. Mm. So that totally makes sense when it comes to lactase production. And the secondary source of lactase deficiency is actually due to uh, illness. So certain illnesses like even a stomach bug or Crohn's disease can uh, stop the production of lactase. And that is much, much rarer though than the primary Mm -hmm. uh, source. Absolutely. So ultimately guys, if you stop putting something in and you're not giving the body a good reason to keep producing something like lactase, then yeah, it's probably going to start to decrease its production. Mm. So that's why sometimes when people start to exclude whole food groups. So if someone starts to exclude all of their dairy containing foods and not just for a day or a week, I'm talking about like months and years on end. Like a vegan potential. Yeah, for example, if you if you adopt a vegan diet, but then if you were to go drink two liters of milk after two years of not consuming any lactose containing products, then yeah, you're probably gonna run into some problems because ultimately for the past few years, you haven't given your pancreas a good reason to keep producing that enzyme. Mm, Totally. So to actually answer the question, can you eat too much dairy and develop an intolerance? The answer is no. If anything, it's the reverse. If you stop having dairy for an extended period of time, then it's going to be more difficult to reintroduce that. I'm not saying, well, we're not saying that you can't reintroduce it at all because again, it's that positive reinforcement loop where if you, eat, if you continue eating dairy again, then your body will start producing lactase, but it's definitely going to be a startup period of at least a few weeks to get that running again. Mm-hmm. And for some individuals, unfortunately, you are just going to have to either supplement with lactase or avoid lactose containing foods. Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. Mm. And I think another important point to just mention is that everyone seems to have a different tolerance for how much lactose they can actually handle in the diet before it does start to cause them a bit of GIT distress. Mm. So sure, you might not be able to drink two glasses of milk or have a huge bowl of cereal, but perhaps you can handle a little bit of high protein, low carbohydrate, low fat yogurt in your diet, or you can handle some cheese. And people are saying dairy right now, but remember not all dairy containing foods contain high amounts of lactose. Cause again, lactose, it's a form of carbohydrate, but a lot of dairy containing foods, they don't have high amounts of carbohydrates, Mm, especially hard, mainly hard cheeses. And what I find quite funny is that their companies are just really sneaky with marketing. Cause like you'll see two types of mozzarella cheese. Like one is your normal mozzarella cheese and one is your special, special low lactose mozzarella cheese, Mm -hmm. which is twice the price. Yeah. And, And when you look on the ingredient panel, exactly the same ingredients i know they are sneaky there yeah and because in reality they haven't done anything to that mozzarella cheese mozzarella is just naturally low in lactose yeah um or any any hard cheese yeah so when we're thinking about things like parmesan or cheddar cheese but Mm. 
Again, the higher the carbohydrate value in a cheese or in a dairy product in in general, that's why ice cream, like that's going to be damn high in Mm -hmm. lactose compared to something like cheese. Yeah. Or even some types of yogurts, the types of yogurts that aren't strained like Mm. Greek yogurts and they have a higher carbohydrate value per hundred grams compared to something like Chobani yogurt or Mm. Yopro, which is more of that thick Greek yogurt, which has a lot more protein in it and less carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless of the number, you just kind of got to test it out and find out what's your limit. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting question for you. If you were, if you suddenly became lactose intolerant, would you just uh, embrace the GIT distress or would you? Uh, it's a tough question for you, I think. No, <laughs> I don't think so. It's not worth it, man. Yeah, I think I would, I would probably supplement with lactase so I would still be able to uh, have my yogurt every morning. Yeah, absolutely. We both have a lot of dairy in our diets. Yeah, we do. We do love our dairy, but luckily we are still on that lactase producing train thank you dear Mm. pancreases especially cottage cheese that's probably like the highest cheese in carbohydrates Mm -hmm. yeah cottage (laughs) cheese is pretty amazing (laughs) yeah cool well what's the next the third question for the day technically so this next question says can you please tell me how to make chicken rice and green meals delicious Okay, so a few things to unpack here as well. Yep, so pretty much, Jack, how do we make bro foods taste good? Yeah, so the the way I interpret this question is, like, as you said, how do you make bro foods, how do you make healthy food, in quotation marks, taste good? Mm -hmm. And I think an interesting thing to delve into first is our taste Mm -hmm. and how everyone has different palates. And something that is quite obvious, especially children, is that as you develop from children to adulthood, your palate will become much more diverse and change drastically as you become, uh, as you experience more foods and different uh, cultures, different ways of cooking. And I think the, well, I don't think I know Mm -hmm. that your exposure to different foods as a child will vastly influence your palate as an adult. So... There are, and again, I, I'm, I don't want to, I am walking on eggshells here, I feel, but different adults have different palates mm-hmm. and some, some people love vegetables. Some people love olives. Some people love avocado. I don't know. Some people like bread or don't like the taste of bread. Yeah. Some people do, don't even like the taste of water. And <laughs> I think that's ultimately going to come to your exposure of food as as a child. Yeah, I'd say there's definitely a strong correlation there. Yeah, undoubtedly. And something, a more philosophical point that I was thinking about prior to this episode is who was the original person who started telling people that fruit and vegetables and whole grains and lean protein sources, like, since when didn't they taste good? Like, Mm. I feel like it is a huge socio-cultural component and what we see in the media, what we see in TV advertisements, what we see in magazines, new newspapers, on social media, that that's kind of what is uh, influencing people into thinking that, okay, these highly palatable foods like your traditional, I guess, discretionary foods or junk foods, they're the only things that taste good and therefore vegetables don't taste good. Mm. And like, again, we're exposed to it as children as well. Like... Um, like a lot of the marketing that's on TV is is towards children, especially by companies like McDonald's and, and their Happy Meals and what or not, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Every single type of cereal brand. Yeah. So to an extent, it's not surprising, but 
I think largely of, of when people aren't satisfied or, or don't, don't think that like, for example, vegetables are flavorful, it mainly comes down to their first impression. And of course, like how they're cooking them as well. Yeah, without a doubt. I think there's just a huge psychological barrier there. Mm. And it just feels like a burden as if like, oh, I've got to eat my vegetables. You yeah. know, they just don't want to. A lot mm. of people don't want to. And absolutely, I think that the way that we're brought up in childhood and the foods that we're exposed to, it will highly dictate that. Mm. And I'll be the first to say that I almost wish that sometimes my parents exposed me to even more types of cuisine because yeah. we would go out to restaurants as a kid, you know, things like Chinese or Indian or mm. Italian or French, whatever it may be, but they always have a kid's menu and yeah. the kid's menu always has chicken nuggets and french fries <laughs> or deep fried fish with some potato gems or whatever it mm. may be and i loved those foods as a kid so i would always order off the kids menu while everyone else mm. that was older than me and my family was just you know digging into this just amazing cuisine yeah and but you got to remember like that's once in a blue moon you would go out to eat mm. and so it, it's it's going to be mainly about what your what, parents were giving you every night. Yeah, what sort of food is served at home, Yeah, for sure. Or even when you go to school as well. Like, yeah, what's at the tuck shop, yeah. canteen. And also, is it common for you to regularly get your lunch from the tuck shop? Mm. Or do your parents usually pack you a lunch? And yeah. even if your parents are packing you a lunch, are they packing you things like celery and carrot sticks? Or are mm. they packing you things like potato chips and LCM bars? Yeah. Or I guess the other, and this is the thing, like when we look back on our childhood and our parents, we often see them, I, I kind of hope we see them in, in slightly rose tinted glasses where like I even look at my parents, they were doctors uh, or they are doctors <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they, they were the pinnacle of knowledge and education around nutrition. They must have been, they were doctors and yet they weren't. Mm -hmm. And And so I thought, oh, the way that we were having vegetables, like let's say we would have boiled vegetables 90, 99% of the time. I'm like, that's the only way you can eat vegetables. Like that, and that's why they taste so poor is because we were boiling them. Mm. So basically what I'm saying is don't use your childhood as a reference point, but I think we should try and give some more concrete answers here. <laughs> but just going back to childhood, <laughs> it is interesting because I did have this kind of notion that the more highly palatable foods were more rewarding, but I was only allowed to eat those if I ate my more nutritious foods first. Mm. So generally in my lunchbox, I never really had canteen money or I never went to the cafeteria. My dad always packed our lunches for us, but I would have these big stalks of celery and chopped up carrots in a plastic bag. And then I would also have something like a chocolate chip granola bar. Mm. And I would only let myself eat the chocolate chip granola bar if I ate my celery and carrots first. And I was like disciplined in that sense. This is like me as a five-year-old in <laughs> kindergarten. I know that's crazy and it's nuts that I still remember that, but I carried that with me, you know, mm. throughout the years. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I still carry over certain things as well. So like I, I don't even know if this originated from childhood, but uh, you'll, you'll uh, laugh you'll know it when I say it is how I break up my big pieces of veg with the scissors. Yes. <laughs> and I'll always like say if, if I'm having like frozen cauliflower and broccoli, like I'll actually use the scissors to chop them up because I'm just 
that I think that's just carried over from childhood of not particularly enjoying massive chunks. Mm-hmm. And like even for my dinner, I've been having like a, a stir fry veg thing for, for ages. And I always, I don't just chuck in big chunks of in broccoli or carrot. I mm-hmm. make sure everything is finely diced. Yeah, or literally grated. You'll grate yeah. like carrots and you'll grate zucchinis. Yeah, Grate your apple. Cause, yeah, because I, I, it's not that I don't enjoy the taste at all. It's, it's mm-hmm. more so must be some sort of thing that has carried over. Because yeah. I don't even mind the texture or the shape either. It's just something that I do. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Yeah, but it only makes sense. Like everything that we're exposed to in those very early stages of life in Mm. our environment and something so integral for survival, like eating food, obviously that's going to carry over with us Mm. into adulthood. And I guess you're just very fortunate if you had parents who were total foodies and they knew how to flavor food and they encouraged you to try new foods and try new flavors and they said no to the chicken nuggets and (laughs) yes to the snails at the french restaurant (laughs) i think this has been our first episode involving pediatric dietetics Mm. (laughs) (laughs) anyway so let's try and uh segue into some more tangible answers and the first thing i have to say for this is when we look at more palatable foods like let's say mcdonald's or hungry jacks or uh, any sort of restaurant you don't get served up a plate of steamed veg at mcdonald's Mm. your your burger your burger at mcdonald's hasn't been steamed it's been fried your ketchup isn't just passata it's Mm -hmm. it has additional herbs and spices to it to make it more flavorful Mm -hmm. and it goes it's exactly the same with these other more quote-unquote healthy foods like vegetables whole grains lean protein sources like you wouldn't expect to eat them plain at a restaurant so why would you expect to eat them plain yourself yeah and that's going back to the question with how can i make my chicken my rice and my green vegetables taste good yeah well what does make food taste Mm. good right yeah you're thinking about all of your herbs and spices and your condiments there and obviously the way that those foods are Mm. prepared yeah, and it, it, for example, like butter tastes good. Mm. Like butter on bread tastes good. Mm-hmm. Butter on a scone tastes good. But you wouldn't sit there and eat a stick of butter. No. And it's the same for table sugar as well. Table sugar, it helps sweeten your pancakes. Mm-hmm. You put it in your tea and coffee, but you wouldn't sit there and eat it table sugar. It enhances the flavor of the main food you're trying mm. to consume. Yeah, and that's that's exactly how we make things like our... Yeah, I keep saying it, fruit, vegetables, whole grains, Mm -hmm. lean meats. That's how you make them taste good. Yeah, but I guess, again, that's another misconception that in order to be healthy, you have to eat foods that are very bland. Mm. So you can only eat steamed vegetables and maybe you'll put a crack of pepper (laughs) on there, but no salt because that'll spike your blood pressure, right? Or you see a big salad, but you don't necessarily see the balsamic and the olive oil dressing on there and all the Mm. different herbs and spices that make it taste really good. Yeah. So to help everyone out, what are some of the things that we do for our vegetables and some of our other more plain foods to make them taste better? Yeah. Well, herbs and spices is my absolute go-to. So you and I don't use too many condiments. No. I guess we use a few. We use things like passata we use some mustard we use some hot sauce we use a little bit of hot sauce like things like balsamic is olive oil a condiment 
I think uh, I forget the specific definition, but it's basically anything that you add to a prepared food mm-hmm. or within the cooking process to enhance the flavor or something like that. Yeah. So we use a few of those condiments. I use sauerkraut now as well. Sauerkraut too. Yeah. But the main thing is we use a lot of herbs and spices. Mm. So we definitely put salt and pepper on everything. But great ones are things like paprika, smoky paprika, hot paprika, your Italian herb mixes, your mm. rosemary, your thyme, your cumin. Yeah. And those are all individual ones as well. Like don't, uh, there's, a, there's a huge amount of spice mixes like peri-peri mm. rubs, peri-peri seasonings, curry powders. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Moroccan seasoning. There's Mexican seasoning. So trying like having a different spice for spice mix for different days of the week, or let's say one week you're going to bake some chicken, you might have Italian seasoning on there one week. And then the next week you might have some peri-peri rub on that chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might use a peri-peri marinade. So don't forget that there's also different sources and marinades as well that are often cal- negligible cal- calories, especially like the hot sauces and the fermented type things like gherkins, pickles, mm-hmm. and the sauerkraut, which I'm recently into as well. Yeah, so best advice is to just hit up that spice aisle and just try different things. I think everyone in their kitchen should have a cabinet or have a shelf mm. for different spices. I know ours is packed <laughs> yeah. full. When we want to find one, we're like, oh God, is it like, <laughs> where is it amongst all of the others? Cause we're always jumbling and moving them mm. around each day each time depending on whatever the heck we're eating for that meal and don't forget that your herbs and spices they're also plants yeah so they'll contribute towards your diverse range of of plant intake across the week Mm -hmm. and they also contain unique uh, nutritional qualities as well yeah so they contain plenty of phytonutrients and different antioxidants and fiber too little bit of fiber as well Mm. yeah so herbs and spices are amazing and you don't just have to hit up your local supermarket you can explore an international grocer for example and they will have so many different flavors from all Mm. around the world that you've probably never tasted before and you're probably going to discover a lot that you absolutely (laughs) love and i'm telling you probably tastes way better than kfc chicken yeah (laughs) much cheaper than coles and woolies as well yeah and even like we're talking about calorie free options here but there's nothing wrong with calorie containing options. Mm. Like for example, I've been putting cottage cheese on my stir fry for months now. And I also, some other things that you might like is even just like lightly crumbing your chicken and, and baking that Mm -hmm. little tips, tips like that, which are fine. And if it, if it helps make the food more palatable for you and more flavorful then go for it. Yeah. Or adding things like just some like diced garlic and diced onion with like a little bit of olive oil in the pan. You could sprinkle in a few chili flakes and then cook your Mm. meat in that. Like it takes it to a whole nother level. Frying up some onion and garlic with a little bit of olive oil, even without olive oil in a pan. That's like the foundation for any decent meal. So, and it's just the aroma of that, even adding a little bit of fresh ginger or, or dried ginger, like mm-hmm. you're on the money if you just start with that. Absolutely. So you can add spices obviously to all of your different types of meats, but vegetables too, like sp- basically the quota is spice it up, yeah. <laughs> spice it up and just really get creative with it. And even with your grains as well, because the example for this was your chicken, your rice and your green vegetables. Even your rice, spice that up. What I love to do with rice is I love to add turmeric to rice. Mm. Putting turmeric in rice, one, it just gives it this beautiful golden color, but it also, it 
makes it taste delicious and it's also incredibly healthy because turmeric has that bioactive compound in it called curcumin and curcumin has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties in it and it's an antioxidant in the body so yeah there's a lot of health benefits to these things and they taste really good <laughs> yeah and if you need any specific advice if you still don't believe us send us a uh, message over on instagram mm-hmm. yeah and i guess just touching on cooking methods to finish with yep Yeah, so things don't have to be boiled. Things don't necessarily have to be steamed. You can bake things in the oven. You know, you don't have to boil your pumpkin. Put that thing in the oven (laughs) for like 90 minutes and like have it like slightly charcoal on top. It'll be so Mm. freaking good. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So experiment, you know. Good old air fryer too, even the microwave. Yeah, and these things taste so good. And then once you discover how to make your food taste really good, you love your food a heck of a lot more. And Mm. there's not as much of a barrier to eating your vegetables and eating these really nutrient-rich foods. Yeah, and we can certainly sympathize with people as well because we've gone through this ourselves. Obviously, we absolutely love everything that we eat now. And I don't think there's a single... The only thing I don't like is raw tomato, but I like any other form of tomato. And I'll eat all your raw tomatoes for you. <laughs> yeah. And are there any foods you don't like? I really don't like coriander. As coriander. Well. Yeah. yeah, I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm one of those people who needs a T-shirt that says "I hate coriander." <laughs> yeah. You follow that Facebook page, don't I you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, we can we can sympathize like. Growing up, like it did take us a bit of time to transition into becoming the foodies that we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I personally think it's more so the socio-cultural exposure to nutrition that kind of influences people's f- uh, flavors or uh, perception of flavors more so than the actual flavors themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and it would be really tough trying to make a huge dietary and lifestyle change going from these foods that are highly palatable. And guys, there's no denying they are delicious. Like chocolate cake with vanilla <laughs> ice cream, I, I could get amongst that. It tastes yeah. amazing, it right? Does. Or there's no denying that fast food, yeah, it tastes really good, but you don't have to go from that to just, again, plain boiled vegetables or just Mm. plain boiled chicken or just some sort of steamed fish or something you can find a middle ground you can find a middle in between but do recognize that it is going to take some time for your palate to adjust but give yourself time yeah totally so i think to wrap this episode up we're going to end on our usual question which is something that we learned this week so am i going first or you're going first uh i'll actually go first i think okay what did you learn So I learned that, unsurprisingly, the end of financial year is a good time to hop on some sales. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the first time that I can remember I've actually jumped on like a decent sale because usually like sales happen throughout the whole year and uh, I can never really, I never need something at this time of the year. And, uh, but basically we bought a massage gun and I think we saved like over $250, which is pretty nuts. That is beyond nuts. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I looked up the spec. So it's got like a good RPM. It's got a good stalling force. It's got a good battery. Um, so because like there are always those companies which like they have a year, they have a sale 24-7. Like they're always on sale. And then when you look at the specs, they're pretty rubbish. Mm-hmm. So this is a decent massage gun. We got it for a decent price. And I'm just keen to see 
how it goes because uh, I've never have used a massage gun before. We've only been talking about getting one for <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like we do stretch and we do use trigger balls and self massage and stuff. But there are certain areas like the calves and the forearms and even like the glutes, which are a bit a bit easier to do with the massage gun. God, I am that person when we go walking through the mall and they have a like massage gun little setup. <laughs> I'm just that person standing right in the middle of the mall with this massage gun right on my glute <laughs> mead, just like going away like, oh my God, this feels so good. Mm. Yeah, no shame. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be mainly good for you because I do the trigger balling every day regardless, mm. but- this Well, I'm, I'm doing it now too. More, but yeah. But definitely not as long as you do. Yeah. Cool, well, that's what I learned. What did you learn? Well, what I learned this week is that I am a strong, independent woman who don't need no postman. (laughs) And uh, the reason why I learned this is because Jack and I get quite a lot of deliveries from VPA Australia, which is our supplement sponsor. And we got a big delivery this past week and there were a lot of boxes. And I went to the post office and I drove there, but I had to like walk around the block from my car to the post office. And he was like, you're not gonna be able to carry all of this. And like, it was out the back. I didn't even know what it looked like yet. And um, I'm like, oh, you know, like, are you sure about that? <laughs> uh, and uh, he brought out these three big boxes and it probably was I think like- four. Four big boxes? Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of boxes and they were pretty tall, you know? Uh, and he was like, you're gonna have to take two trips. And I'm like, <laughs> Come on, man. Don't you know I lift? So anyway, I grabbed these huge boxes and I walked all the way around the block, even down some a flight of stairs to my car with all these boxes in one trip because wow. I am stubborn, but I'm also strong. And that's why I go to the gym so that mm. I only have to take one trip. Very, very exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I was pretty proud of myself. It wasn't heavy. It was just really awkward to hold. Yeah. Like I had to, I couldn't even put my head above and actually have my eyes go over the boxes. So I kept having to like put my head around the boxes and like see what was in front of me. <laughs> anyway, got it done. Definitely, you and I are both those people who like if we go grocery yeah. shopping. It's one trip only, baby. One trip, no matter how many bags, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got such strong forearms. Yeah. Well, that, that's why we have such strong forearms. Yes. Yeah. And that's why it translates into our RDLs. Yeah. So we eat a lot of heavy food and we can lift a lot of heavy weight. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to repost it onto your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. And we'll catch you later this week. Bye.